0: Cutting Edge Radio Show, in touch with today's issues that impact the lives of crime victims, addressing the aftermath of crime, forging a path for hope, building awareness, and empowering listeners for the future. This is Donna Gore, a.k.a. Mickey Justice, your host, with my co-host Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you to today's show into our library of weekly archive shows. It is our goal to make a difference. And uh, so uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever I happen to be catching you here on the airwaves. This is Lady Justice Donna Gore uh, welcoming you from Connecticut, as well as uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina with my co-host, as well as the lineup of guests today. And want to let you know that we have... um, three very very important guests on a topic that we've been planning for many months um, and uh, I will bring them in, in just uh, in just a short minute but want to let you know there's many uh, different um, thoughtful events going on today on uh, October 2- 28th, and before we get started with our topic, just want to uh, say good morning to Delilah, and um, maybe Delilah, you you can tell us a little bit about what's going on later on today that's going to take you away a little bit from the uh, balance of our show. Good morning. Delilah, are you there? Hello? Here. Hello. Sorry about Over that. Over there? Oh, okay. Yes, yes. There we are. <laughs> yes.
1: Okay. Um, this is going to be a very, very informative show for listeners, and I think that um, there's a lot to learn from these people in, in, the, in the area of 911 dispatcher training, and all of their backgrounds combined is just absolutely amazing, and I hope people will go to the show page and read a little bit about each one of our guests so that um, so that they get an idea that they, these guys know what they're talking about.
0: Oh, yes, ab- absolutely, definitely. Um, and that's why, you know, it's taken so long in the planning because they're such busy people and um, – you know, just trying to sort of formulate a plan, and um, I'm sure we have enough material to do future shows, too, so that's a possibility. But what I did say when we had our little tech glitch there was that we were going to be um, leaving for the balance of the show because there are some other important events going on today as well, correct? Well, there are a lot of important events
1: going on. Um, in Wilmington, North Carolina, they are having the Welcome Home for the Kew Center for Missing Persons um, National Road to Remember Tour, and there will be tons and tons of good food, good people, and um, anyone who's in that area, would I would highly urge them to try to attend. It's Something that's very important in support of the families of the missing.
0: Absolutely. So it's winding up a full week of activity with trying to get the word out, building awareness for missing persons. And I know that our guests would would kind of key into that because a lot of what 911 dispatchers do it it starts with that there is a crisis, there's an emergency. We don't know what's happening, and many times it could be a missing person. So um, without further ado, let me introduce a little bit um, our three guests. We have Wayne Freeman, who is a law enforcement officer for the last 23 years uh, with the South Carolina Active Shooter Training Coordinator. He's a special uh, um, agent with the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, uh, a.k.a. SLED, Um Has trained many people, uh, personnel from the Columbia area, many of the very high profile shootings, the McDonald shooting, victim uh, uh, Virginia Tech, um, many, many places, uh, the Naval Yard shooting, Sandy Hook. um, And we also have, as kind of keying into the 911 piece, we have Carlton Carter II, who's a training coordinator. Um, and an uh, NCIC ATEC for the York County uh, um, Department of Public Safety Communications in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And he's worked in public safety for over 20 years. Uh, we also have um, Mitch Fillmore, who is the Central Dispatch Manager for, for Florence County Central Communications um, in Effingham, South Carolina and uh so i think we have a um we have a very well-rounded um, i think we have um a very well-rounded um uh lineup lineup of guests here um, and um so with that um i will i will I will start my questioning and and ask um, Wayne. Um, can you uh, welcome and uh, thank you so much for appearing on Shattered Lives.
2: Oh, we're very glad to be here. Thanks for having us.
0: Um, it's it's our pleasure. Um, you know, any anything worth doing is worth the wait. So wanted to wanted to know. Um, wanted to know if uh, you could kind of give us a, a little thumbnail sketch regarding, regarding the, the the history of the program and, um, and uh, uh, then we'll do a little bit more with regard to bringing us up to date with what you might be doing um, you know currently because there is a, a, a really good history here.:
2: Yes, ma'am. I'd love to tell you more about the program. Basically, about 2011 to 2012, South Carolina was responsible for doing what many states do, and it's called the State Preparedness Report. Everybody has to do it, and basically FEMA pays attention to it, Homeland Security pays attention to it, uh, law enforcement agencies, fire agencies, any first responders and emergency managers in an area basically take a poll, a survey that talks about how well-prepared an area is for certain types of events. Uh, That's basically in order to make yourself better, to prepare for the future, and to constantly improve your readiness. Well, the state preparedness report covered the area of armed attackers in your jurisdiction, and 46 counties of 46 counties in the state of South Carolina indicated that they were not ready for an armed attacker. Well, there was a meeting going on that examined this, this report in detail, and one of the Findings of this meetings was uh, was that essentially we didn't have a program that addressed armed attackers, active shooters, uh, despite the fact that South Carolina has had some pretty high fr- high profile active shooter events in the past. So it was determined that we needed to set up a program that would benefit everyone in the state, not just first responders, but also citizens. So we got basically a state homeland security program grant that was fairly small in the beginning to try and further that cause. So when we got the money initially, we started by creating an instructor cadre that would be used around the state to train other law enforcement officers uh, to be better responders to active shooter events, hostile incidents. That money, we were able to take it a lot further than we thought we would, and we produced just over 275 instructors within the first several months of the program, and we started producing hundreds and hundreds of students that program grew into a civilian training program, and the civilian training program looks at some of the material not only from Run, Hide, Fight, but also from alerts, Avoid, Deny, Defend. Uh, There are other programs out there, ALICE and some others, that look at evacuating your location, barricading your location, and then defending yourself from violent criminal intent. Well, the program has grown significantly in the last five years and we've been funded every year for the last five years with increasing numbers as we went along because we were showing program effectiveness. Basically now we've trained over 22,000 people in the state of South Carolina and we've partnered with Tennessee, North Carolina, Louisiana, Colorado, Virginia, uh, Georgia, Alabama. We have students and instructors coming from all over the southeast region. But we've trained all across the United States, and our intent is to grow the program even further. Uh, we're doing well, but we want to do better. We have constant room for improvement, and we've begun a new focus on making sure that our citizens are prepared i'm I'm kind of uh kind of a radical amongst amongst uh my discipline in that I believe it's very easy to teach law enforcement officers how to be aggressive when they're protecting their citizens, that's that's very easy. What's Mm -hmm. difficult, uh, it's much more difficult to prepare citizens on a mass scale. The goal of the program is to reduce initial casualties and to make sure our community is safer and that our community can recover more quickly. So we focused a lot on churches, especially uh, in the aftermath of Mother Emanuel, our chief, Chief Keel, he wanted to make sure that churches across the state of South Carolina had good and equal access to active shooter pra- uh, training for their church, and we've trained thousands of people in the church program, and it's available uh, to anyone who asks for it.
0: But and to that just, to, end, just to clarify, the Mother Emanuel was the church in Charleston for our national audience, right? The, the mass shooter there.
2: Yes, ma'am. Mother Emanuel Correct. was the Correct. shooting. Yes, ma'am. The the shooting in Charleston, that affected so many lives, especially the nine families uh, in the church. Okay. Uh, so Chief Keel wanted something done immediately, and we already had a church program, but he wanted it better. So we edited it, and we had now have a church uh, program specifically for Active Shooter where we talk about preparing not only your worship area, but uh, the people responsible for Sunday school classes and for your nursery and for your ushers and your deacons. And uh, we've provided that to thousands of people.
0: How are the pe- how are um, um, people of the cloth or uh, religious leaders in terms of receptivity for for doing that? Do they do they in, embrace these kinds of shootings, or do they say, "Oh, oh dear, you know, maybe I, I don't think we need this"? Or has has the the whole tone or the whole um, Uh, Outlook perception Changed in the religious community About doing this uh, Active shooter training I'm just wondering
2: We've been We've been met with two different Attitudes in that regard and We embrace Both equally Uh, The first being I don't Really want to discuss this I don't think I want my congregation Or group to, to be thinking about this Um and the other group basically says there have been far too many church shootings. We need to acknowledge this. We need to make sure that uh that we're ready for this because church shootings are happening so often. And when you look at the statistics across the nation, and it depending upon whose statistics you look at, the FBI's, the alert statistics, the New York uh New York PD statistics, essentially it breaks down like this. Number one location for hostile incidents, active shooters, is going to be commerce, business, essentially. Business with about 59% of that being retail. Number two uh, would be schools, K-12 and higher ed included in that. And then number three basically churches, worship areas, gathering locations. Open-air events also factors in. Some people would call that number four, but some statistics indicate that being number three. No matter what, if you break it down simply, it's church, work, and school. Church, work, and school uh-huh. is where you go to feel safe. Right. That's very problematic. You have to think about the mindset of the type of person who would hunt humans where they feel the safest. Church, work, school, open air gatherings and statistically hospitals is starting to be on the rise as well. So we understand that there's some frustration amongst some groups of not wanting to accept openly talking about violence with their congregation because it's upsetting. But the truth is these things still happen and we need to prepare for it. And we encourage people to prepare for it.
0: Have you just wondering, and, and you have you, I'm sure you there's been a lot of discussion with, with them and, um, are you able to, to change that mindset but after, you know, giving them some of the stats or, or saying, we understand your perspective, your, your profession is a peace-loving perfection and a, a good God and all of that. And, um, and it, you may be touched by crime, so it's better to be proactive versus reactive. I mean, are, are people coming around to your way of thinking after you have the conversation?
2: Once we show them the statistics or I'm able to sit down with them and make them understand that training is the only thing that allows performance under stressful environments, they generally do. But basically I'm reminded of, I had a a conversation with somebody during the Lutheran's Bishops Conference in South Carolina a few years ago. And Mm -hmm. one of the gentlemen there, basically what he said was, And he said this with tears in his eyes. It still touches me pretty deeply. He said, I can't make my church an armed fortress. I can't make it an armed camp. My job is to invite them in to show them the love of God. And he was very sincere, very earnest, and and tears were running down his face when he said it. And I said, I understand. I do understand. He said, I can't frighten them. I have to open the doors and invite them all in. And I don't know which ones are bad or good, and I still have to love them all. Well, it was a pretty interesting and heated discussion amongst that group. But once we talked it out, they saw that it is about preparedness. We have to live in the world as it is, not the world as we wish it were. Mm So preparation becomes very important, and that's what we do. We encourage preparation amongst all groups. Churches, schools, businesses, recruiting stations. We have programs for all of those, military, businesses, schools, higher ed. We have reunification programs to put students back with their families or employees back with their loved ones. It's community preparedness that matters, so it's fairly easy to sway them once they see that it's only about preparedness, and we do not do education through fear. Education through fear it only lasts as long as I'm in the room to scare them. You empower people through education and prepare them for what might come to them. And it's much Absolutely. easier to get people to accept that.
0: That That's, that's very important information, those, those observations. And as, as you were speaking, I was just thinking uh, – uh, Carlton or Mitch, you um, are very much in the same mindset or you wouldn't be involved in this training. However, in terms of meeting the public, your role is a bit different. I mean, Wayne goes in there as part of his everyday routine and does trainings, and you come into our everyday lives um, as – the crisis as, as the the point of entry when there's a crisis, and we we literally do not have contact with you until there's that ultimate um, crisis. and we're putting our lives in your hands, so that's a very that's a very different relationship. And I just wondered if you would you know make some comments of, about that and what what your, your role is as a 911 um, dispatcher or trainer and, you know, how, how um, that differs from what the kinds of things that, that Wayne does. Uh,
3: so this is Carlton. So from Hi, Carlton. our Hi. aspect, how are you? I'm
0: um, fine, thank you. Um,
3: so from our aspect, um, in most uh, mass casualty events, active shooter events, Um, We're going to be that first point of contact um, that, you know, the people will call 911, requesting assistance, and our role um, is to, you know, ascertain the exact location of where the incident is occurring, exactly what is happening, um and you know the location of the suspect and that's that is pertinent information as far as the law enforcement response goes so when they arrive at the location um that direct that they're able to go after the suspect um the shooter and so from also from that point as we gather that important information um we also want to know um you know if anyone's injured but also if the caller is in a safe location Um, And if they are not, are they able to get into a safe location? Are they able to, you know, run away from the scene? Are they able to barricade um, themselves, you know, inside the the location, the facility? Um, And then if they're not able to do any of that, are they able to defend themselves? Um, And so that's pretty much the role that we play. Um, And it's important that we gather that information. And we're going to be taxed you know, depending on the situation, from multiple callers calling in, um, sharing their story. Some are going to be actually at the location. Um, They're going to have valuable information um, that's going to pertain to the the suspect and, you know, where the suspect is located, possibly which direction the suspect or suspects are traveling in. Um, And then our job is to make sure that we, um, you know, rapidly... Uh, relay that information to the response units as they are responding to the scene. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. I, I I think that's very. I mean, people people have seen uh, the role that you play on you know shows like Dateline and Nine, uh, the Forty Eight Hours, and all of that. But I think it's important for people to know the myriad of activities that you're doing simultaneously. And isn't it very important? Um, and then we'll get back to the program itself. But you, uh, with people that are under, uh, you know, high degrees of stress here, uh, how do you? Uh, you have to establish a rapport very quickly so that you can get the optimum amount of information. Is that is that part of your curricula in this, or is that something that kind of comes naturally if you're a people person? I mean, how do you how do you do that part?
4: Uh, hey, this is Mitch. Hi, um, kind Mitch. Of, Hey there, and you're right. It's it's more of it's that's embedded in our training from day one, uh, because we are echoing on what Carlton just said. The nine one one dispatchers or call takers, they are what we call the true first responders. They are the first contact with people who are dealing with this crisis or some type of crisis. So we are tasked with and uh, with with dealing with that. Whatever state they're calling in So whenever they call in Whatever emotional state that they're going through You're right, it's, it's our job to to Calm them, assure them um, That help is Being, we're getting their information To help us being sent But that's, that's something that we train On all the time uh, And we echo it whole, A little bit deeper and heavier Through the active shooter program Because it does change a good bit This is a yeah, other than handling a – it's different than handling a call of a domestic situation where you have a victim calling in from a domestic abuse where you got an active shoot or active incident occurring where things are moving pretty quick, callers mm-hmm. panicking and all, and it's our job to calm it down. So just okay. like all said, we have to attain to get that information. I'm
0: getting a little bit of static. Did, um, did anything change with your phone there? Just ask to get a little static. Okay, are you still there? No? mm mm-hmm. Okay, Hello? that's better. It's gone now. Thank you. <laughs> Whatever you did. Yeah, uh, no, that's Okay, that's can you repeat fine. that last bit because we had a little bit of static there?
4: Um, yeah, but I'll just echo it again. As far as it's something that we are trained, dispatchers and call takers are trained on um, from the beginning. As uh, far as handling callers when things are at their worst. The, because it's really, it's, a, it's maybe it's a little bit different when you're dealing with a caller who has a domestic situation um, that's calling in, where you got a caller calling in with an active shooter or active incident, where things are moving fast, pace. It's, they're looking for us to, to calm, to be that calm voice on the other end of the line to make sure that we can gather the information from them and relay to information to our, to our responders. Um, and this training touches on that. This training that we we do with Wayne to our dispatchers, home in on that. That like Carlton just said, help them on, you know, on the when they call in, help them to avoid the, the avoid denying and defend if necessary. That's that's training that we give our dispatchers because, like I said, Echo, and again, we are the true true first responders. We have first contact before the responders such as law enforcement, fire, and EMS arrive on scene. So, what we do and how we act and how we take that call is extremely important um it is we do save
3: lives
0: you yes y- yes, you certainly do, and we're so glad you're there just just wondering um and then I want to kind of tie this into the how you got involved in the training program but is there is there data in terms of or do you just have an observation in terms of the the Uh, number of people that are dispatchers that are male versus female, do certain people gravitate to this position? And do, do responders tend to, I mean, I would just think that a female voice is maybe sometimes more calming, or does it depend upon the particular caller, the exchange or whatnot? Do, do equally number of people um, become dispatchers that are male versus female?
4: The, there's no hard statistics as far as male versus, male versus females. However, in my common center, there are more female dispatchers than male dispatchers. As far as the confidence on the voice, I mean, on the other end of the line when dealing with the callers, it's, it's, it's not more of a female-male um, deal. It's hearing confidence in your voice. Um, that's what the caller is hearing. That's what they're listening for. they listen to see If they, 'cause they can pick up how confident you are on the other end of that line. So they, if they hear that, they hear the fear in my voice. Then it Mm -hmm. makes the caller like, okay, uh, if he's scared, then I'm scared, and it doesn't matter whether it's a female or male. So we, that's what we focus in on. We, when we answer the call, we answer the call as confidence. What we train our dispatchers and call takers on is trust what you've been trained on. If you trust what you've been trained on, every time you answer that line, you answer that line with confidence. And when you say Florence County 911, what is the address of the emergency? The caller hears that, and they hear that. Okay, I got someone who's who's focused in and honed in on giving me or getting me the help I need.
0: Right, and you have a protocol, and you you don't you don't um, uh, digress from that because you know by doing that, that shows your confidence and and competence, and you know what you're doing. with regard to your your role, um, Carlton and Mitch, with uh, connecting with these a- active shooter trainings, I mean, up until the point, and am I wrong that before 2013, this was discussed, and maybe uh, 2014 when it when it came to fruition that you became involved. Um, what, what was this kind of not not thought of as a as uh, as a, uh, a a tie-in that there should be with active shooter up until the point when you all were were asked to become part of this curricula? What what did take place
3: uh, prior to the program um, coming to fruition and us um, joining with Wayne and uh, you know the sled and and some other agencies that were involved. Um, we, there were active shooter classes that were out there um, a couple of times a year. Here in the state of South Carolina, we have um, several 911-related telecommunication training conferences. And so occasionally we would have you know, some sort of active shooter or active assailant um training that would be provided. And then like I said, then there were several vendors that were out there as well that provided training prior to this. Um, but what really brought it to life was uh, when the Sandy Hook shooting occurred um in December of two thousand twelve. You know, and, and there was Columbine and some others, but specifically with Sandy Hook, um when that occurred, Maureen Will which is the uh, director of emergency communications for Newtown, Connecticut, um, was invited to our fall conference, which was actually four years ago um, as of yesterday. Um, so this is a little anniversary for us. Uh, but she was invited to come to our conference and she spoke before everyone, um, shared her story about Sandy Hook, um, and you know just pretty much educated us as far as what happened, um, what should we expect, um, you know, during these events, and then what are the long-term effects that may occur afterwards. And so after she finished um, her, you know, sharing of information, she w- basically went before the, bo- the, app, the South Carolina APCO and the South Carolina Nina board members and asked if they're, you know, if we provided any sort of active shooter training um, for telecommunicators in South Carolina, and she also she followed that up with, is the training provided free at no cost? Um, so from that point, the two boards um, they they came together and formed a committee, um, which placed uh, Mitch, myself, and some other training coordinators um, onto a committee, and basically challenged us to say, hey. Um, You know, we we need to come up with some sort of training, and we need to be able to provide it for every telecommunicator that wants this training in the state of South Carolina for free. Um, So from that point, um, we came together, and we, first we actually sat down and looked at some of the vendors and how much that would cost and everything. Um, And then we actually said, you know, there's gotta be a way that we could put this together um, for no cost. Um, And so then that's when we were introduced to Wayne, Um, freeman woods and we were introduced to some other um, law enforcement-related agencies dealing with the FBI, um, the uh, military, um, Department of Homeland Security, and we basically all came together with an initial meeting, said, hey, this is what we would like to do, and Wayne and the other representatives said, hey, we can make this happen. So. Um, so from that point we had it, and that was actually in
4: so late 2013, still
3: late december um and anyway, early two thousand and thirteen but we came together and we had a series of meetings and presentations and do you know a lot of editing so by April of two thousand and thirteen we actually at which was at the spring conference we um came together and presented it in front of um we we picked the I guess it was a we did a test pilot test run of the program and from that point you know and we we requested feedback um from the ones that were in attendance and so we got a lot of feedback and overall they said that it was great it was much needed um and then from that point um and and I had my dates mixed up, I'm sorry, April of 2014. So okay. um, by May of April two th- uh, May of 2014, um, we were up and running with the program, and we actually presented it for the first time in um, Lexington, South Carolina, um, which is um, right next to Columbia, and we had a full house. I think we trained over 100 people so that day.
0: Wow, that's excellent. So I, I just want to understand, <clears throat> excuse me, the difference between before and after. So in, in terms of her perspective, after she told the story of what what we all went through or what they went through as professionals here in uh, in uh, Newtown, Sandy Hook, the differences were that you you wanted to do a program that where the curricula was more complete or exclusive to nine one one. Um, dispatchers and the fact That it would be available For free at no cost To police departments, etc Do I have that right?
4: You do um, Because most of the programs that were out there At the time were, were Charging And Maureen pretty much said That this type of training is needed And necessary And it should be provided at no cost And, and that's, that's extremely Important because some smaller agencies don't have the budget to to just send their people to get trained or to bring in and pay for instructors. So it, it will hinder them from getting the training. And she saw it and we saw it as we should not let that stop us from giving training that is extremely necessary and needed. So the thousand to over a thousand dispatchers that we have trained, a couple of thousand dispatchers we have trained across the state. All have got the training for for free. Well,
0: that's and that's because you 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 went applied for grants and uh, from the federal government and they've been very responsive to this program. Is that not correct, Wayne?
2: Well, there's a little more to the story that they're not they're not really telling you. Um, we, we just folded <laughs> okay. them into our program. We, didn't, we don't see any of our grants. We don't even see the money in the grants as our money. Uh, I've had this discussion with many of my instructors. I've had this discussion with these two gentlemen. This money doesn't belong to us. This money belongs to the children of Sandy Hook. This money belongs to the kids we lost at Columbine. Uh, this money belongs to Jacob Hallman, who, who died in Townville on a school floor. It's not our money. And we treat every penny like it belongs to somebody else who paid a much higher price than us. So what they're not telling you is, yeah, we folded them right into our program. They, they, there was nothing to it. They were just one of us in the response discipline. But what they didn't tell you was when they showed up, they said, we understand you're pretty good at active shooter. And I said, I'm interested in it, yes, this is what we do, and talked to them about that in the program, and they Mm -hmm. told me what their needs were and what they wanted, and they said, okay, we're going to meet back in six months. Okay, well, I'll be honest with you, I didn't take them as seriously as I should have, because I didn't believe that anybody could be as passionate about active shooter response as me and some of the instructors that I work with. (laughs) Well, we finished, and and I started doing an edit for them, and I started getting phone calls and emails, when will your edit be done? I said, well, I've got a few months according to the meeting schedule. That wasn't good enough for them. They wanted it done within a few weeks. So instead of months later or a few weeks later, we're meeting again, and I presented the material to them, and it was okay, but they said, yeah, it's okay, but we need to have it better. It needs to be better, and we need a new edit. And here's your timeline on that. So I started taking them a little more seriously. But then uh, within just a few weeks of that edit, they wanted another edit. And I discovered that they're just as passionate about active shooter response and making citizens safe through hostile incident uh, intervention that uh, they're full partners with us, complete and total full partners with us. They fall right under the grant. And uh, they did a great job of not only encouraging but demanding Materials for their dispatchers to make citizens safer, and since then, they've helped grow this program to Virginia, Louisiana. We've presented it in Denver. A lot of people want this, and whereas most classes cost anywhere from 500 to 600 dollars, this class is not only free, but we're expanding the class uh, to uh, to give it away to any state that wants it, any dispatch program that wants it. We delivered wow. it. Absolutely, yes. We want to give this away. We've delivered it in Texas for free, instructor classes in Texas, Denver, uh, Slidell, Louisiana, multiple conferences. We've trained thousands of dispatchers, and we hope to train thousands more.
0: Well, I, that just makes my heart sing, because when when like people have the same passion, very, very good things get, get done. And it was so cool that you had that connection. Now, um it, it does it, it matters not whether you have two dispatchers at a very small police department or you have tons of people is the ultimately is the process the same and you have i mean I'm just you know imagining this a manual here with the curricula regardless of the demographics of your geographic area or uh, the community you're dealing with, the process is, is the same. it's tried and true. is that true?
4: Yes, ma'am. It doesn't matter if it's a center that only has one dispatcher that's on duty, and if that one that center want us to come down and and train those two dispatchers, we'll come train them. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't matter, and the training is the same to, throughout the throughout the U.S.
0: Oh, that's great. What what kind of after you did the initial training? I mean, I it's very good backstory information to know that you were continually refining it. But from their perspective, what kind of information did they did they want that maybe initially was not being provided? What what was the were there like gaps or what, what kinds of things did you add in there to make it, you know. Uh, near, I mean, nothing's perfect, but near perfect or continually re- refining it. There's certain aspects of the, of the process that you thought, well, gee, we could improve this or improve that. What makes your program, the model program, I guess is what I'm asking, versus, and there's a lot of good programs out there, but, you know, we, we want to sell your program as well. What, what is it that makes your program the difference? and completeness, for, for, uh, particularly for dispatchers, that That's what we're talking about.
2: Well, one of the things that we do with our program for dispatchers is we train them to essentially be an instructor in the civilian response program. And there are multiple programs out there, like we mentioned before, ALICE, Alerts, Crace, uh, the DHS Run, Hide, Fight, incidentally, so that uh, your listeners can know it uh if they if they google fema online training and take IS 907 that's basic active shooter response that's a free class it's continuing education units it only okay. takes about 45 minutes it's it's good educational and uh it also gives uh, people an opportunity to provide their employees with free active shooter training uh just a little plug there for them because it's good training we look at that And we train those dispatchers how to essentially be an instructor in avoid, deny, defend, run, hide, fight, evacuate, barricade, defend, so that they can talk their callers through the entire process, evaluate where they're at within that process, and then advise them on their best course of action. But we also look at the phases of active shooter response as a dispatcher relates to the officer going to the scene. Most people don't think about active shooter as being phased. Well, it very much is. And those phases sometimes start years or months out with fantasy phases, pre-planning, to where essentially the bad guy decides he's going to do this, goes through his fantasy stage, goes through his planning, sets up his logistics, and then begins uh, to act upon those desires. Well, you're not going to know when that is until the event starts. So, naturally, when you yeah, call you nine... come
0: in way down the process. Like, I mean, I'm just thinking, we're thinking about Adam Lanza. You know, he, he started planning, you know, way ahead of time, and then you come in, you know, sort of at the end result kind of thing, right?
2: We, we get thrown in right in the middle of it, to be honest. Middle, uh, okay. Basically, okay. what happens is, when you look at an active shooter event, any hostile incident the average active shooter incident is 12 minutes long, unlike what a lot of media portrays. It's not an incident that goes on for hours and hours with a bad guy kicking down doors and killing everybody in the room. They're very time-intense. The average active shooter incident is 12 minutes long, with some of the longest ones being only 15 minutes long. That is why you have to train your employees ahead of time. You can survive that 12 minutes, but you have to have proper training, and the proper training is important. So we introduced the dispatchers to the concepts that are involved in preparing their citizens and talking citizens through that bad time. But the first one to two minutes of an active shooter event is American adults simply not accepting that violence is happening to them. And there's a lot of very complex psychology going on there, everything from normalcy bias to basically social responsibility, uh, your societal norms. We're not used to being hurt by other people. So there's a lot of denial there, and denial doesn't have any survival value. So the first one to two minutes of an active shooter event is American adults not accepting that violence is happening to them. When they finally do call 911 or their local emergency number, if they get a hold of a dispatcher who isn't trained, oftentimes that dispatcher is slowed down by CAD, the computer-aided dispatch system. We train the dispatchers that CAD, the CAD system, the computer-aided dispatch, that system works for them. They don't work for that system. So it's much, much quicker dispatch time to get officers there more quickly. And then we train them in phases beyond that. The first phase, after you get a hold of that true first responder, a dispatcher, that dispatcher starts trying to talk you into being safer and then they start gathering information to give to officers. That information is very focused on the suspect, not what's going on at the location, not how many victims there are, not how to set up incident command. You're trying to tell cops, Where is the bad man and how can you get close to him? While you're telling those citizens to get away from the bad man. Then, once your cops get on scene and they make entry into the location, then all of your information, the focus shifts to basically the officer providing information to the dispatcher so that dispatcher can act on that information and provide the logistical support that dispatchers are so good at. So we teach them these phases and we make them... The, essentially the level of an instructor and how to talk to their callers and get them out of harm's way. So there's a lot going on for such a short time and we're constantly improving the material. I've actually met with Carlton and Mitch. We're going to scrap the entire program, start fresh, and make it all new again.
0: Really? So you're you're going to revise the whole thing that you have and, and start over? Because with is it true that with each and every incident, and I hate to say that, um, you know, with what with what happened uh, most recently, you learn more information, so you're constantly refining. And like I said, what why would you scrap something, or would you just amend it? I'm just wondering.
2: Well, to be honest, that's the way you are. <laughs> there's so a great. lot of truth to that, And, and. Uh, the, the two other guests over here smiling because they, they you just get awfully close to who and what I am. Uh, oh, okay. So that was one, that a little personal, but that's okay. I Sorry. can take that. hit. Um,
0: I'm yes. a devil's advocate here. I'm the radio host. <laughs>
2: I like that. I like that. Uh, plus, there's a lot of honesty in that. The truth is we can't be good enough. We'll never be good enough. We have to be better. We have to be better. There is absolutely no room for us to fail or not give the best services available to our citizens because these attacks constantly change. Vegas changes the game. We're seeing different trends, and oftentimes the tactics you see overseas make their way to America. It's just a matter of time before it gets worse again, and we have to prepare our citizens for that. So instead of resting on our laurels and saying how cool we are, I think we should probably continue working on improving the material and providing not only South Carolina citizens and visitors with the best available, but partner with the best programs in the nation, ALERT, LASER, others, and constantly be refining our material. Incidentally, we've just gotten a new grant, uh, a very large grant. We've been awarded a very large grant, and that grant allows us to do things that we haven't done before to include logistics and support personnel. It's time for us to revise this material and make it better because through the years we've learned how to improve it, it's time to improve it and to continue improving it. It's time to raise a new group of instructors who are going to make this program better beyond just me, my vision, Carlton's vision, Mitch's vision. We have to expand it, and we're looking for partners. It's not just a South Carolina thing. Those Tennessee partners, those North Carolina partners, we want more partners. We want partners from Connecticut. We want partners from California. We want... From across the country.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, that brings up. I wanted to ask you when you were talking about the fact that you're, you're you're training throughout in various and sundry states, although you could go to your local entities and get training. If people want to hook up with your program and perhaps apply to get the free training through you and you're in a different state than South Carolina. How would they do that? What's what's some of the contact? I want to make sure I I get that out there a couple times. How would they get in, in contact with all of you? And is it best to get in contact with Mitch and Carlson or with you or how do we do that if people are listening here
2: Actually, that uh, we would love to give you that information. Get a hold of me, and I've got access to every single program we teach. Uh, and okay. just so everybody out there knows, we offer bus assaults for school resource officers because they're around buses more than the rest of us. We offer stair work. We offer... Beginner, intermediate, and advanced law enforcement training. We offer rescue task force training, and we're expanding that for firefighters and EMTs. We offer free dispatch training to include train the trainer for that. We have multiple other programs, and this grant allows us to include more partners from around the nation. If you have some training that you want, if you have uh, interest in our material, we want you to reach out to us. So uh, here, here's that plug. I'm Wayne Freeman. I work for SLED. I'm the only Freeman at SLED. I'm very easy to find. I don't really have uh, good social skills or a life, so this is pretty much what I do on and <laughs> off duty.
0: We have that uh, in common. Well,
2: <laughs> <laughs> so if you get a hold of me, the easiest way to get a hold of me is uh, via email here at SLED. My email is w Freeman, W-F-R-E-E-M-A-N, at SLED, S-L-E-D, dot S-C, Dot gov. That's W Freeman at sled.sc.gov. Our chief is very big on sharing training. If there's something that we can do for you, or you'd like to fit in some of our advanced training, we would love to have you as a
0: guest. Well, that's great. Now, just just so that people know, and because I work for state government, and you're an entity of government, although ours is probably the most bureaucratic in the land. Um, is it an overly arduous process to apply for this if you're interested for your, your church, your community organization, your, your you know, um, bus monitor, whoever it may be? Is it a, a fairly straightforward application process?
2: Actually, we don't even really have what would amount to an application process except for screening our instructors. Uh, I'm very demanding of our instructors. Uh, I was very serious. If you don't know a victim's name in this program, you're gone. But as long as you keep that focus that this is about the victims and making fewer victims in the community, and it's not about you or your cool guy haircut or your boots or anything like that, which we've run into many times, then we love to have you. We love to have instructors. We love instructors who love to teach. But as far as the public, it's a very easy process. If you're in South Carolina and you would like active shooter training for your church – Get a hold of me. All we need is a projector, a screen, an audience of 50 or more, and a place to do it. That's pretty much all we need. If you're, an, if you're a law enforcement agency and you need the training and you're a small agency, if you'll host it, we show up, provide the instructors. We provide you with a twenty dollars to $50,000 class. We pay for your training gear and your safety equipment. We bring the instructors. We clean up behind ourselves, and we go away. All you have to do is get a hold of me, tell me what hmm. your needs are, and we'll take care of you because basically yeah. it, was explained to me, it was explained to me by my chief. I'm in the yes business. I'm not in the no business or the maybe business. SLED is a support agency. So I'm in the yes business. You need something. I say yes. And then I figure out a way to get it done. That's pretty much how we operate.
0: I love that. I love that. That, that is wonderful. And just so that people know, and I do have a, a few more questions, just to give you a time check, we have about uh, almost 10 minutes. Of our show left, and it's so I and with all the different programs you do, and it it sounds very interesting. So I foresee that we're going to be on the radio again if, if if you would like to be, I would I just love that. But what what I would what uh, can you tell us what the time commitment is for people that are. Undergoing these, I guess it depends upon the venue or the the specialization training that you're undergoing. Is it a couple day training? Is it an all week training? What is it?
2: Well, we have a variety of training for this particular dispatch program. The focus of this show, basically, it's four hours. It's about four hours. Um, we like a morning program that runs into lunch, and then we release them for lunch. And that's a basic certification for dispatchers, telecommunicators. We have an eight-hour train-the-trainer class that we've delivered before. But the other classes, for our civilian classes, for our church classes, and others, they're about two hours, including setup and questions. And then for law enforcement and rescue task force, those classes are anywhere from one day to five days. (laughs) Depending upon what they want, uh, we'll be hosting a class soon called Erase from Alert out of Texas, one of the, probably the best active shooter response system for law enforcement officers and rescue task force in the nation and the world incidentally okay. uh, our program is heavily in alert um, that's a five day instructor course that's pretty physically intensive um, and that's one of our more extreme classes and you know that's so anywhere from one and a half hours to five days, depending upon what okay. your needs are uh, To to kind of keep with that no-cool-guys thing, uh, every response agency is interested in this. It's not just a South Carolina thing, and it's not just a sled thing. If, If you have listeners out there who are concerned about active shooter and preparedness and community preparedness, every local agency, every police department in the nation wants to engage their citizens about this please go to your local departments, your local agencies, and tell them that you have concerns. They will help you. It doesn't have to just be SLED or a state agency, a federal agency. Even the smallest police departments we work with are interested in engaging and preparing their citizens for active shooter violence. So reach out to your local agency, and they will be glad to help you.
0: Wow, that's that's great. It just sounds all-encompassing. And just Again, just to play devil's advocate here, Um, if we say, well, we've gone to this one training, you know, for our church, we're all set or whatever, is it like, does does, well, the average citizen would be going to different things versus law enforcement, but in terms of law enforcement or emergency responders or people such as that, there is definitely a benefit to continuing to be able to go to, to various kinds of training. Is that not true?
2: Ma'am, your question is one that is so important to the program. I'm so glad you asked it. I'm happily shocked that you did. Now, what happens often in many active shooter response training programs for states and, and agencies is they send their instructors to one or two instructor classes. That is simply not good enough for our citizens, period, period. If you've been to one or two active shooter instructor classes, you're not a subject matter expert. You're a beginner. Our entire program is based on five, six, ten instructor certifications. When you've had PACOP, MACTAC, Blue Line, Alert, and Erase, then you're starting to understand active shooter response. You're not an expert. You're starting to understand. You're still a neophyte as far as many of us are concerned. So we have to continue training. Because the bad guys are changing all the time. They're changing their tactics. We have to adjust to them to serve our citizens as best we can. That's very, very important. You have to constantly train and update. One instructor certification is not good enough. Two is not good enough. Five is not good enough. If you can find it, spend the money. Officers, cops, firefighters, if it's out of your own pocket, it's worth it. It's worth it. Constantly update your training. We have to be better for our citizens.
0: Well, I'm so glad that you addressed that because, you know, in times of, you know, lean money, lack of funding, government training, oh, we 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 already had an active shooter training, so we're all set. So I'm glad you dispelled that myth, and that's, that's great. Um, well, Mitch or Carlton, I wanted to ask you this, and all three of you, because this is something that makes people feel uncomfortable do you feel that after Las Vegas or after any of these, that we are getting into a complacency mode? Do you feel like we're going to be dealing with a, a, a show coming up? Is this, in your personal opinions, are these kinds of events, are we going into an age of new normalcy in the United States with regard to these um, massive shooter trainings? And so, what's what's your feeling about this? I mean, it keeps you in your your work, and you know, it's it's never going to end. My my role as a crime victim advocate is never going to end. But is is this the beginning of a new normalcy? Who um, wants to take that?
3: <laughs> um, I'll start out. This is Carlton. Um, it Carlton. does that does appear to be the situation um, when you look at the amount. Of events that occurred from the point when we started to develop the program to how they have progressively, had, got, you know, have gotten worse with the amount of casualties and injuries. You know, when the, the Pulse nightclub um, incident occurred, we saw how many victims and casualties were there. Well, then we had Las Vegas occur, you know, just um, a month ago. And we see that that was far worse than what happened with Pulse. Um, But something that I've gotten out of it personally is just a situational awareness. And, you know, when we go out, me and my family, when we go out to eat dinner, go to a movie, go to a concert, go to church, um, you know, you you always want to be aware of exits. um, Wherever, you you know, if you go to the mall, we have the holidays coming up. So when you go shopping, go dining, whatever – Uh, that you want to be aware of, you know, of your exits. And like I said, it's just situational awareness as a whole that you're always on the lookout for something that doesn't look right. Um, If something does occur, um, that you are in a position that, you know, you could at least attempt to um, remove yourself from the situation. And I agree, Carlton, on that. It it does
4: change. I have changed since I've I've been in this program. I've been dispatching now for in dispatch for 21 years, and been doing this now since 2013. And it does change what you do and how you do go through your everyday life.
0: Absolutely, it's a shame that we have that we have to say that. And um, you know, I was just listening to uh, talk radio here in Connecticut the other day and saying that. Um foreign terrorists are the ones that take advantage of our technology and they use that to their advantage so that they can do these things because in, in their countries they don't have that so we are sort of, you know, enabling them in that sense because we have the technology and they take it and they use it to the detriment of us which is, is really a very sad statement. But, um, but I don't want, I mean, as a homicide survivor, I don't want to, for the last 36 years, I refuse to be looking over my shoulder every, every day. But in this day and age, for a different reason, I mean, how can we, is there any way we can, we're going to feel more comfortable in having all the you people as the competent people to help us. But we always have to be vigilant. Is that the, is that the operative word here, everybody?
2: Vigilance, vigilance a lovely word But I can tell you exactly why we're doing it And why we're going to be ready And why we're going to continue to be ready uh, Here's why Charlotte Bacon Daniel Barden Rachel Devino Olivia Engel Josephine Gay Anna Marquez Grace Green Very musically talented Dylan Hockley autistic Favorite color was purple Don Hoeksprung the Sandy Hook book fairy Madeline Sue Katherine Hubbard Chase Kowalski, Jesse Lewis, James Mattioli, who loved French fries and hamburgers with extra ketchup, liked to be outside, Grace McDonald, I have a Grace, it's easy to remember Grace, Anne-Marie Murphy, Emily Parker, Jack Pinto, the ultimate sports fan, Noah Posner, his favorite color was blue, Caroline Praviti, Jessica Ricos, Aviel Richmond, Lauren Rousseau, Mary Sherlock, Victoria Soto. Her black lab's name was Roxy. Favorite color was green. Benjamin Wheeler loved lighthouses. Allison Wyatt, that's why. We're going to stay vigilant. We're going to stay ready. We are not going to fail on this mission because those names still mean something. They still mean something. They're not going to be forgotten. They're going to be part of this program. And as long as the program's going, they're walking with us. We want those names.